It is so good to see you in the Lord's house this morning, and I am glad that you made the choice to come and worship with God's people. I want to welcome those that are joining us online as well. Invite each of you. Let's take our Bibles, go to the New Testament, to the gospel narrative of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, and in a few moments, we'll read out of Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. As you're turning there, a couple of reminders. Our 2024 budget recommendation is out for your review. There's some hard copies placed around. It came out to the church family in email. Uh, our stewardship and personnel team representatives will be in a room right across the way here right after this, uh, this service. So if you have questions, if you need to know more about something, uh, anything doesn't make sense, is not clear, we invite you to ask questions today or through the week. Next Sunday at this time, we'll be asking you to approve a 2024 budget so that we have some rails to run on in the new year. So that is out. Also, brand new this week, there are five good-looking guys that are part of your congregation that our deacon body has interviewed and vetted for deacon ministry at Liberty. You nominated them, we've screened them, and they bring them back to you as a recommendation to elect them to a three-year term for deacon ministry at Liberty. So fill those forms out. You can leave them in the black bowls. You can leave them in drop boxes on the office doors in the hallway. But we ask that you turn those back in in the next couple of weeks. Uh, also, you have ended up a week of prayer for our international missions. And so we're kicking off our focus on Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And if Lottie Moon is not familiar to you, here's your homework. Google Lottie Moon, learn about who she is as far as who she is as an example of committed sacrificial service of gladly spending her life to see the gospel advance. And so we have a designated offering named after her because of that life example. This is our offering as Southern Baptists cooperate together uh, in giving so that we can support missionaries that are on the field. As of the end of November, you and I as Southern Baptists have 3,515 IMB missionaries that you support. Here's a good fact. We've got two of them with us today. But due to security reasons of not wanting to stream online, uh, we're going to bring them up at the end and let you meet two of our missionaries who've actually been living in our missionary home since June. And uh, to some of you may be familiar, but you're going to hear their heart and know how the, the, they minister, where they serve in Asia, and uh, you're going to understand how we can continue to support them as well. Now, in the Word of God, Matthew chapter 6, find your place there. And as you do, remember as we get ready to read that this is in the context of that great Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew. In this sermon, Jesus speaks about kingdom character and kingdom conduct. There's a thesis in chapter 5 in verse 20 that Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's ma that makes us stop, pause, and think about what we profess, we believe, and not only what we profess with our lips, but what we live out with our lives. And what Jesus saw in the religious system of his day is there was a lot of religious activity 
activity and busyness, but the heart had bad issues. The hearts were cold. The hearts were dark. And he was calling them to a different type of relationship with the Heavenly Father that produced a different heart and a different heartbeat. Uh, As Brian kicked off our new series for December on generosity, uh, he did so last week, and and he made two statements about generosity. One, uh, just an overview, is that when we celebrate Christmas season, we're really celebrating the generosity of God. I'm going to come back to that, but two foundational statements about generosity is, number one, that treasure in heaven is better than treasure on earth that as we are in Christ and as our hearts have been changed by the power of the gospel, we begin to grow and realize that there's more to life than just what this world has to offer. Uh, There is a whole eternity that we spend with our Savior and that we really understand that storing up treasures in heaven brings God glory and is better than storing up treasures here on earth. It doesn't mean that we don't have anything on earth but it means our priority is bigger than this world. Second statement was God is a better master than money. God is a better master than money. Now, we're about to read beginning with verse 25, but glance up to verse 24. And when Jesus said this statement in verse 24, he is saying a statement that demands a decision from the hearers. He said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Now, he brings it home. In case you're wondering, what is he talking about? He says, you cannot serve God and mammon, or God and money. Can't have two masters. You've got one. Which master is yours? With that in mind, I want to invite you, if you're able to stand, uh, to stand for the reading of God's word recognizing His Word is truth, His Word is life-giving, His Word is refreshing. As we focus on generosity, a life that God's called us to live, hear the words of our Lord in verse 25. Therefore, I say unto you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Here's the question. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Rather than worry, what do we do? But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, 
we still struggle with this temptation to worry. Help us to have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and desire to walk in obedience by resisting worrying and seeking you first in all things. So Holy Spirit of God, direct our thoughts to the needs in our life so that we can leave this place resisting worry, experiencing greater peace, and putting our trust firmly in the providential care of our Heavenly Father. We pray this prayer in confidence that we have in Christ and in Christ alone. Amen and amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I love the song that we just sang, my life, my praise, everything I own to Jesus on the manger throne. Again, as we celebrate the Christmas season, really, I don't want you to miss the idea that we're really celebrating, yes, the birth of Jesus, God's Son. Uh, we are celebrating that, that birth narrative out of the gospel narratives, but behind the act of Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary is the heart of our Heavenly Father that is a very, very generous heartbeat. The greatest gift ever known to mankind to meet the greatest need of all people of all time is the gift of Jesus Christ. There's not a more generous gift than God giving His only Son for you and I. That one who was born of the Virgin Mary, the one who walked on the face of the earth and lived a perfect life, perfect righteousness, the one who died a criminal's death in our place and took on our penalty of death and shed his blood so that our sin debt could be paid in full. He died, he was buried, and he rose again, and he conquered the grave, and he conquered the bondage of sin, and he conquered the enemy, Satan himself. There is no greater gift than the gift of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so when we think of generosity, we need to remember God determined what generosity looked like through the gift of His own Son. Write down two references. One is Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32. Paul just reminds us, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? With Christ, give us all things. And he's talking about all things that are for our need, all things for us to know him and have a relationship with him and to be obedient with him. Then 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he for your sakes became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich." As children of God, Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are to be imitators of God as beloved children. Well, if our God is a loving God, then we are called to love God with all of our heart and to love others as we love ourselves. And He is that loving God. If our God is a merciful God, then not only do we receive mercy by grace through faith in Christ, but we also extend mercy. Our God is a generous God. We're going to find out in this passage, our Heavenly Father is a very generous Heavenly Father, and we are to be imitators of Him. Therefore, the lifestyle that we as children of God are called to live out is one of generosity. And just a, a side note, you don't have to have millions in the bank to be a generous person. Generosity is a condition of the heart. 
And also this sin that, that is targeted by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in verses 25 through 34, this sin called worry, it is also a condition of the heart. And worry is a picture of a heart that refuses to trust our Heavenly Father. So if we're worrying unhealthy anxiety that makes us lose perspective on this thing called life, and eternity. This unhealthy anxiety that drives us to not trust what our Father has told us and promised in His Word. That kind of sinful worry. When we worry, we are sinning against God, and it is a big deal to our Heavenly Father because it is as if we are saying, we don't believe you, nor do we trust you. And so Jesus makes much about worry. In fact, he speaks of worry in these 10 verses about six different times, and there are three distinct commands for us to stop worrying. So if you have your sermon notes, I want you to look on number one. There's just two major points. The first one is verses 25 through 32, and it's the providential care of God. Uh, Jesus tells us not to worry. It's a command. And then he gives us reasons that we shouldn't worry, reasons that we don't have to worry. But in those reasons, he asks some pointed questions, and those questions start to unpack some traps that we easily can fall into. So the providential care of God, as we look at the, the paragraph of verses 25 through 34, we see in verse 25, first command, do not worry about your life. Then he lists reasons, verses 25 uh, the second part through verse 30. And then verse 31, do not worry about what you eat, drink, and wear, second command. And then he gives us reasons we don't have to worry in verse 32. And then verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. And then the second part of verse 34, he tells us why we shouldn't worry about tomorrow. So worry is the key word. It is the thought for today. And the command is do not worry. Now, Jesus builds this passage on the basis of what he just said in verse 24 and the foundation that Brian preached on last week of generosity about storing up treasures in heaven. And so that therefore in verse 25 reaches back and connects with what Jesus just said, you cannot serve both God and money, which begs us to ask the question, whom do I serve today? Who is my master? Is it God? Or is it possessions? Is it money? Is it greed? Is it covetousness? Is it jealousy? What is my master? And Jesus is really saying, because God is your master as a child of God, you don't have to worry. Isn't that good news? Because of who your father is, you don't have to worry. The command is do not worry. Do not be anxious. Literally has in, in its in the presentation in the Greek, stop worrying. Stop doing what you're already doing. Who is Jesus talking to? Followers. Some of those guys have been with him a while. And he says, stop worrying. Rather, trust your heavenly Father as you commit your life to him. But look at the phrase, do not be anxious or do not worry about your life. You see that phrase, suke in the Greek. That word life encompasses everything about your life. 
It encompasses your emotional, your physical, your spiritual, your, your mental capacity. It, it fo- focuses on the big things in life and the little things in life. And so what Jesus is saying, don't worry about any aspect of your life. You are a child of God, and your heavenly Father is more than sufficient to provide for you. Now, on one hand, we're going to say, hey, man, easy preaching, but let me tell you, it's hard living when things get stretched. It's hard living when our temptations are to worry, and Jesus begins to unpack what some of those temptations were as he begins with verse 25. Let me just uh, paint a picture about this term worry. Our English term comes from a German term. It means to strangle. Uh, What does worry really do to us? Emotional and mental strangulation. It really wastes a lot of our effort and a lot of our time, a lot of our energy. The opposite of this thing called worry is what Paul painted as an example of his testimony in Philippians 4, contentment. Paul's contentment was not in circumstances. Remember, it was in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to verse 25. Jesus asks a question that reveals a temptation or a trap to us. His question to us after he commanded us, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. He asks this question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Here's the trap. The trap is believing that life is not more than these things, that life is just wrapped around these things, that life is all in the here and the now and the temporal. Uh, the, the temptation is to, to isolate and see it as small when, when Jesus says, hey, understand, your father gave you life. Your father has sustained your life. Your father has sent, is sending Jesus to redeem and rescue your life. Don't worry about your life. Why? Because you are in the care of a heavenly Father who is creator, sustainer, and sufficient for all your needs. And Jesus said there is a temptation, and this day and time, their temptation was greater than our day and time to worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, and what we're going to put on. What Jesus is not saying is, is be passive. He's not saying do nothing. He's not saying sit and twiddle your thumbs and wait on this heavenly Father up in the sky to pour into your lap all these blessings. No, how do we know that? Well, we know that based on what he said as an illustration in verse 26. He said, hey, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father does what? He feeds them. Here's the question. Are you not of more value than they? What is the temptation here? Temptation is to doubt the love of God for you. The argument is from lesser to greater. In creation, this heavenly Father created the birds of the air, from the little sparrows to the big bald eagles and all in between. He created them. They are busy every day that they have life on earth. They're flying. They're looking for food. In my study at home, on our front porch, there's a window. And on that window, there's a spider that weaves a web. I've just decided to leave it alone. It's a losing battle. But in that web, there are insects and bugs that get tangled up. You know what these birds have figured out? 
they have figured out that in the morning there is some easy picking food because what I hear is the tap on my window. And when I look, it's the birds picking the bugs out of that web. It is a reminder to me as I sit there in my quiet time to, hey, my father takes care of these birds. And when I hear the first song of the morning start, I'm reminded that his eye is on the sparrow, but his eye is also on me. And Jesus said, hey, look at creation. Consider the lesser part of creation, the birds of the air. They're busy going to find food, but ultimately it's your heavenly Father who provides for them. You are the crown of God's creation. You are the image bearers of God. and You are of greater value than a bird of the air. How much more will this Father provide for you? And he said, the reason that we don't have to worry is because God loves you as his child and he knows how to give good gifts. How much does this God love us? Well, John 3, 16 is really, really clear in that, right? For God so loved the world, you and I, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Look at verse 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single cubit or hour to his life, a span of time to his life? The trap here is believing you really have control over something. When you choose to waste the day worrying about what may come, you haven't added anything to your life. Worry will never add a second to your day. Worry will never add an inch to your stature. Worry will not do anything but to subtract from your life. Uh, You cannot gain time by worrying. You can waste time by worrying. And the call is to put your trust in a heavenly father rather than believing that you're in control. And, and, And most of the things, let's be honest, most of the things we worry most about, we have no control over. Some of them we do. And we have commands about how to be faithful to God, but a lot of them we don't. You can worry yourself to death, but you can't add to your life through worry. Verses 28 through 30, he picks back up and says, hey, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, literally the wildflowers of the field, how they grow. They they neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon had all the riches of the world. He had royal garbs. I mean, he had the dressy clothes. And what Jesus is saying, hey, not even Solomon at his height and all of his riches had clothing that would compare to a wildflower in the field that your creator has painted and given the magnificent color. And, 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 and even though they're just here for two or three days and then they die and the, the, the weeds are used for fuel after that, even though they're the least of creation, God has lavished his care upon them, not in a minimum way. I think he's really leaning in onto the generosity of this creator God, that he has been generous and pouring out beauty over these flowers. And if he would do that for flowers of the field, do you not think that he'll do that for you as his own child? And so Jesus, again, arguing from the lesser to the greater, is saying to us that don't fall into the trap of doubting God's generosity for you. 
Now, Jesus is not promising that this faithful father will meet our every greed, but he is promising he will meet our every need as we seek him first. And so Jesus is saying, don't worry, and then he tells us why not worry. But look at that in verse 30, the last phrase, oh, you of little what? Faith. These disciples had faith. But what Jesus was spurring them on is that your faith that is little needs to grow. And you need to grow that as you are surrendering your life to the gospel mission, as you are giving your all to Jesus, then you're willing to trust God to provide, your Father to provide for your every need. Oh, you have little faith. How many times did he say that to his disciples in the New Testament? When are you going to get it? How long is it going to take? And so their temptation was to worry about the things here on earth and, and to stress over them rather than trusting. And Jesus said, no, 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 don't worry. Rather, number two on your notes, the passionate pursuit of the child of God. Rather, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The priority of life for the child of God ought to be seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When I use the word priority, uh, I'm using it in the sense of the most important thing. That main thing in our life, that which is preeminent. And Jesus said that main thing, <clears throat> that preeminent thing is to actively pursue of first importance the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What does it look like to actively pursue putting in first importance the kingdom of God? In our daily walk, it might mean I have to figure out how in the world to margin time to spend time in prayer and allow the Word of God to speak to me. It might be getting up earlier in order to grab that time. It might be finding a quiet place at lunch because I leave the house at 3.30 or 4 o'clock and there is no earlier for me, but margining some time at lunch where I can be still and be quiet and listen to God speak and pour my heart out to Him. Some of you are night owls. I'm not one of those. I go to sleep when I sit down in the evening. And so you might come home and there might be a margin of time there. But to invest that time, seek first, sacrifice in order to put it first. So when we're seeking something first, we're willing to make sacrifices so that thing can take place. To seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness means that the center of our thoughts and our desires and our priorities are on Christ and His kingdom. We live in a world of competing interests, and we live in a world with tempting pursuits. But God's Word gives us a very clear mandate in Matthew chapter 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Rather than spending time and energy worrying over the things that we cannot control, God desires that we make the focus of our lives on living in a way that honors him and brings him the greatest glory. The pursuit, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is the kingdom of God? Simply put, that is where the Lord reigns. That's God's kingdom is the reign of Jesus, the realm where Jesus' authority is acknowledged and obeyed. The pursuit is doing the will of God now as well as looking for that final kingdom to come. To be praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To seek his kingdom and his righteousness. 
Seeking the righteousness of the kingdom implies obedience to everything that Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Every command that we have in Scripture to teach the righteousness of God and pursue that. In other words, seek to manifest the kingdom of God in and through your everyday life. To seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness may look like us embracing that attitude of Christ called humility and esteeming others and doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vainglory. Uh, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness may look like you and I being broken daily over our sin, remembering that first part of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn for they shall receive comfort. It may look like you and I not only being broken over our sin, but remaining teachable to the things of God, to learn and be molded by the truth of God's Word. It may mean a growing hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God, that there's a growing hunger and thirst in our life. It may look like us being merciful as God has been merciful to us, us loving as we have been loved, us forgiving as we have been forgiven. It may look like us hanging in a marriage when we don't want to in the flesh or it's not easy. It may be extending love when others have extended hurtful words or hate. It may be us forgiving first, or investing our time, talent, and treasure toward the gospel mission. It is the practical outworking of what Matthew 6, 10 says when Jesus teaches his disciples, when you pray, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is the practical uh, living out of Matthew 5, 16, where Jesus said, let your light shine that they may see your good works, but glorify your Father who is in heaven. Uh, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness means that you in your life, as you walk in obedience, are a light and a dark culture. You are salt that preserves what is right and good and true. Your life is distinct among those that you live out. To, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness means that we grow up as children of God in the measures of a disciple. Is that familiar language? A child who knows God, a student who is living different, a friend that loves differently because of the love of God in us and through us, a helper who gives generously, a messenger who goes boldly, a, a guide who is showing the way by the way that we live, making the most of today by seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Someone said it this way, there are two days you should never worry about. Yesterday, it's gone and you can't do anything about it. And tomorrow, it is not here yet. I love the way Mark Twain said it. He said, I've been through some terrible things in my life, most of which never happened. How many of us are wasting today on things that may never happen tomorrow? We cannot seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness when we are busy worrying over these things. Jesus said then in verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. 
It doesn't mean that we're not good stewards. It doesn't mean that we don't plan. It doesn't mean that don't, we do not work for God's glory on a day-to-day basis. But he says, don't let anxiety lead you to that place to where it is unhealthy, to where you lose perspective on who you are and whose you are and where you start distrusting your heavenly father. Rather, let tomorrow worry about its own. Let me, this is for my mathematic daughter. Let me give you mathematics of worry. What does worry do to us? Worry divides the mind. Worry multiplies the misery. It subtracts your happiness and joy. And it adds distress. That's what worry does. Jesus said, don't worry. Not once. Don't worry. Not just twice. Don't worry. Three times in ten verses. Then he tells us why we don't have to worry. God will take care of his people. And the promise in verse 33 is when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. But don't miss what he said about the Gentiles. Don't worry about these things, what you will eat or drink or wear. Why? It's those things that the Gentiles say. Who are the Gentiles? Pagans those who don't have a heavenly father, those that that are not in Christ. And so for a child of God to worry about these things is like a child of God living your life as if you don't have a heavenly father, living your life as an orphan. And that is not God's purpose for you, nor it is me. And all these things will be added to you. Do we believe that if we seek our Father first, and His kingdom, that He will provide for our needs. There are 3,515 IMB missionaries that could answer that with personal testimonies. There are people at Liberty Baptist Church that can answer that based on personal experience where you chose to believe, where you stepped out in faith, and God came through. Who's your master? And what's your story? Here's what we need to do today. Let the Holy Spirit of God evaluate your heart. Where are we tempted to worry? What are we wasting today with in our worry? And will we confess that to the Lord? And will we turn from worry and start seeking even more diligently first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness. And as we go through the week, when you walk out today, the first bird you see, I want you to be reminded, God takes care of that bird. Are you not more valuable than that bird? He'll take care of me. When you see flowers, they're a little harder to come by nowadays. It's wintertime. But when you see flowers and you're reminded, They neither toil nor spin, and God has clothed them generously and lavishly in beauty. He'll take care of me. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough trouble on its own. But today, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. God loves you. He's a good father. He's worthy of your trust. Live generously and see what he will do. Let's pray. Father, we ask for help.
to resist worry and pursue you. When our minds get focused on us and the things around us, and when we get focused on others and what they have and what they do, we easily become discontented and we begin to worry. But Father, we ask that you will help us trust you in the thin times, the times of abundance, in the times that you ask us to give more than we expected to give. But we hear clearly you're calling us to sacrifice in our giving. That when that time comes, you're worthy to be trusted. Give us ears to hear. Give us courage to obey. Help us to find peace and joy and happiness in the person of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. And Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning that has not surrendered to King Jesus. Therefore, they don't have peace with you. They don't understand peace in this world. Father, that they will respond, recognizing that Jesus died in their place and shed his blood so that their sin debt could be paid in full. And as Savior, he gives peace with you, a holy God, an all-sufficient God, a loving God, who is able and willing to meet our every need. So, Father, may they bring their greatest need to you, that of lostness, and may they find the greatest gift of all, our Savior. And for every child of God, Father, we are tempted to waste today worrying. Help us to trust instead of worry. Help us to call out that sin, turn from it, and to walk in trust as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen.